Well, let's take our Bibles again, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. We're going to kick things off with just that one verse again. You're probably getting pretty familiar with it, about as familiar as I am with that verse in the book of Psalms that I quoted earlier. <laughs> All right, well, let's hope you're a little more familiar with this one than I was of that one. I, I always get that one right. I don't know why I mix that one up so bad. Well, that's not really correct when I say I always get that one right because I didn't bat with it today, did I? So anyway... Luke chapter 2, verse 52, <clears throat> we're talking about what should be my attitude toward my job and my employer. Very practical stuff. Uh, this is real simple, very practical, but necessary and needful. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. And so again, you know, we've set the stage a number of times, we needn't spend a lot of time, but there he is in Jerusalem being left behind by his parents. We find him there consorting and dealing with the doctors of the law. And Jesus, of course, is there reasoning with them. And man, I mean to tell you, he's going to town and they are amazed. They are astonished at the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of 12 already. And yet the Bible tells us, even though he was God in flesh, the fact was, as it goes on to say, and he increased in wisdom and stature, yes, but also in favor with God and man. And we said, well, boy, I tell you, if Jesus saw the need to increase in favor with God and man, certainly we ought to increase in favor with God and man also. And what better way to do that than at the job? I mean, let's say we think about we spend at least one quarter of our life working. Some may spend a little bit more than that. If we're going to spend that much time in the job, then, boy, we better be growing in favor with not only God but man. You're going to need man's favor sometimes. We need to reach men with the gospel, need to reach women with the gospel. So we've got to make sure that we're in a position where they're going to listen to us. We can't be creating a bunch of enemies along the way. We need to really do our best to grow in favor with God and man. And so it's a real need for the believer. So we began things off by making a statement. We said, first of all, as we consider this whole concept, what should be my attitude toward my job, my employer? We said, well, first of all, you better realize that all saved people are called to full-time Christian service. And we said, that's the first thing. We've got to get that nailed down. And so we discussed that a while. We talked about it. And we said, basically, we said, listen, the believer is on the clock 24-7. Long before you ever clock in at work, you're already on the clock, so to speak. You're on the job already as a believer, full time. And so it doesn't stop. The moment you walk out of church, you don't stop being a believer. The moment you uh, leave your Sunday school class, you don't stop acting like a Christian. The reality is we're to be a Christian 24-7. Then we, we, said, let's ask, we, we said, what's the primary purpose of our job? Well, we, we noted that it was to support our ministry. And our first ministry is to our family. Our second ministry, we said, is to our church family. Our next ministry is to reach the lost. 
And we made that real clear. We spent some time discussing and dealing with it. And so then we said, all right, all right, now let's ask this question. What should be my attitude toward my job? Well, we said, well, you ought to view your job as a ministry opportunity. Not just a job, but a ministry opportunity. As a matter of fact, you know, seeing that we are full-time Christians on the clock 24-7, we need to view the workplace as a mission field. And so before we head off to work, we ought to say, Lord, open up those doors to me. Give me opportunities to witness to a, a co-worker. Help me to reach out with the gospel today. And we said, as we move along in life, as we go forward in our Christian walk, and in our, whether it's at the workplace or wherever it may be, <clears throat> we need to strive to be defined as a Christian by what we do, not by what we don't do. And we don't have time to get into all of that, but we ought to be defined by what we do, not by what we don't do. And so we said it's important that we work at that. And then last week, we began kicking some things off by saying, what attitude should I have toward my supervisors and the company I work for? And we touched on a couple things. Number one, we said, serve as if the Lord Jesus Christ were your employer. Two, respect the authority of their position. And then finally, we said, respect your company's property. It doesn't belong to you. And so we said, listen, the, the believer should have no part in stealing or damaging company property. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that ought to hold true at the church. Amen. You say, well, I'm a tither. I can destroy this building if I want. Or I'll let my kids do it when you're not looking. Let me tell you something. You really shouldn't let your kids do things that damage the church. I'm sorry, but I'm just being very bold and blunt here, <clears throat> okay? It's very important that we teach our children to respect church property and anybody's property. And by the way, adults, I think it's important that you respect property, whether it's the churches or at your workplace or at school where you may be taking extra courses. Respect property. And you say, well, I'm paying a lot of money to go to school I'm, I'm, I'm tither at church. I know, but why in the world would we sit with our knees digging in a chair, creating a divot that has to last? A chair that someone's going to sit in for the next 10 years, maybe. I, I'm just, <clears throat> I know I'm spitballing here, okay? I, I, I don't know that I've seen anybody doing that except some of my singles. Okay? But the fact is, is that I'm sure that we see things sometimes. Every one of us probably go, why would they let their child do that? Why are they doing that? What, what, what in the world's going on over here? Why are they standing on top of that railing over there during the message? But anyway, <clears throat> the, the, you know, but, but either way, I'm just saying let's be very mindful of what we're doing and understand that, boy, we don't want to, whether it's at work or school or wherever we're at, we, we need to make sure that we have no part in stealing or damaging uh, property like that. And, and I, I bring it up just real quick because we're not going to spend time on it. I just want to throw that in. Because I do think if we just at least are thinking about it, the next time we notice our children, hang, now listen to me, hanging on, on, on door things and hanging on rails and those things get damaged. Standing on top of these things or kicking them, the, the, that is damaging property eventually. It could very well damage property. Um, so be very careful. I, I'm just asking you help us with that a little bit. I do think this goes to a much deeper problem in America I think it goes to a deeper problem even amongst believers. Uh, we really don't respect other people's things as much as we used to, to be frank with you. 
It's just the way it is. Well, it's no big deal. It's just material things. Well, unless they're your material things. You ever get somebody, let somebody in your car that just, uh, would you let somebody like some of these young people say they're over at the property playing flag football and they just got uh, just loaded with mud, you know, diving for footballs. And they say, hey, can you give me a ride home? And you go, huh? Wait, wait, who, who else goes, huh? But anyway, so, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, inside joke, you had to be here all last Sunday. But anyway, uh, so, so you're like, forget that, man. Why wouldn't you let, oh, you don't, so your car's more important than people, huh? No, it's just, why am I, I'll let you in here and you'll wreck and ruin my car for the next 10 years. Change your clothes and do something, but I can't take you home that muddy. You have to go get in the trunk. You know what I'm saying? Climb in the trunk. We'll get you home, you know? I don't know, but I'm just using that as an example, okay? So, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't mind picking up kids that are uh, dirty and smelly, taking people home that haven't showered. I don't mind stuff like that. If it's for the work of God, I'll do it any time. I don't care if it's a brand new car I own or what. I'll serve the Lord. But if you can do better and they're not doing better, that's an issue. That's another thing, see? It's another thing. You know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Okay, yeah, the preacher's just blowing off steam or something. I don't know what he's doing. But anyway... So today I want to begin, okay, <clears throat> I want to begin by talking about a fourth thing, all right? We're dealing with this issue, and let me just remind us and myself what we're talking about before I get off another tangent. What attitude should I have toward my superiors and the company I work for? Well, here's what we're going to start talking about tonight. Respect your company's time. Do eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. Amen. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll have some fun. Father, we love you. We thank you. Bless us now, and Lord, may we truly take to heart these truths, and Lord, realize that it's not necessarily just our reputation, but yours that's at stake. We love you, we'll thank you, in Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, would you turn there? Respect your company's time, do eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, a, a very, very important and powerful verse, really. Notice what it says here. It says, providing for honest things, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Once again, this emphasis, this emphasis on God and man is found. It's interesting to me in the scriptures how that happens from time to time. Earlier we noted in our opening passage how Jesus increased in favor with God and man. We saw that. That was in Luke 2.52. Now we learn that we are to provide for honest things in the sight of both God and man again. See, it seems apparent that we're not only to live our lives before God, but also before men then. It's just as important how you live before man as you live before God. Someone says, well, you know, I got a thing with God. Me and God got an understanding. Yeah, well, maybe you and God have an understanding in your mind, but unfortunately other people can't see that. They don't understand what you're thinking. They don't know where you're going, and you're probably wrong anyway, to be honest with you. If you have to use the old me and God got an understanding card, then you don't understand something. But the fact is, is that people are watching. It's important that we, we, we grow in favor with both God and man. It's important that we, as it says here, provide for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Someone says, well, things are right between me and God. Well, good for you. How are things between you and mankind? Well, my relationships with people are messed up. Well, then let me tell you something. There's, you're, you're halfway right then. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe you can even be halfway right. Because if you're not right with 
both God and man, then there's something wrong. Now, I'm not, you know, somebody, I know somebody's thinking, yeah, well, what if they don't believe the word of God and I do? And uh. Yeah, well, well, you know better than that. You know we're not going there. I'm talking about having an attitude toward family or friends or others and you just can't get along with people because, well, that's just the way I am and if they don't like it, tough. Tough. Well, that's good. Too bad you're unscriptural right now. Too bad you're breaking God's commands. I sure wish that you were right with God, but you're not if that's your attitude. Not according to the word of God, at least. Now, again, I can throw the word of God out and I can say to you and I can be a a nice psychologist to you and I can say, I understand where you're coming from, brother. I understand, ma'am, where you're coming from, sister. I get it because of this and this. And hey, I might understand it. I may feel for you, but it doesn't excuse you from God's commands. We are to grow in favor with God and man. And not only that, we are to provide for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. It's important how people view us. It's not just good enough to say, well, God knows I'm a good worker. But the boss and the other co-workers don't know it? Something's wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. Well, I know I'm a good worker. I don't care what anybody else at work says. What? That's not how the Bible says we ought to be. We ought to be more concerned about our, our particular, um, how people view us than that. We really ought to. Because how are you going to have any authority to witness to anyone if that's what, how they feel toward you? you you're, you're, you're bringing reproach on Christ in that sense. <clears throat> now, the boss asked for a letter describing Bob Smith. It went like this. Bob Smith, my assistant programmer, can always be found hard at work in his cubicle. Bob works independently without wasting company time talking to, his, talking to colleagues. Bob never thinks twice about assisting fellow employees as he always finishes given assignments on time. Often Bob takes extended measures to complete his work, sometimes skipping coffee breaks. Bob is a dedicated individual who has absolutely no vanity in spite of his high accomplishments and profound knowledge in his field. I firmly believe that Bob can be classed as a high-caliber employee, the type which cannot be dispensed with. Consequently, I duly recommend that Bob be promoted to executive management and a proposal will be executed as soon as possible. A memo was soon sent following the letter, however. And it said, Bob was reading over my shoulder while I wrote the report sent to you earlier today. Kindly... Read only the odd number lines, one, three, five, etc., for my true assessment of Bob. Bob Smith, my assistant programmer, can always be found wasting company time talking to colleagues. Bob never finishes given assignments on time. Often Bob takes extended coffee breaks. Bob is a dedicated individual who has absolutely no knowledge in his field. I firmly believe that Bob can be dispensed with. Consequently, I duly recommend that Bob be executed as soon as possible. <laughs> now, let me ask, which one are you? I mean, let's face it, you know? I mean, Bob's standing over his, his uh, 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 boss's shoulder, and boy, I tell you, he's writing a glaring, you know, just a wonderful, shining review. But in reality, what does the boss really think? And may I say, sometimes people aren't honest with you? Sometimes people don't really tell you how they really feel about your work. 
or your attitude at work. I'm just saying that we need to be very clear and very careful in our own eyes and the eyes of the Lord as well as others that, boy, I'll tell you, that we respect our company's time, that we're doing eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. I read that if a train station is where the train stops and a bus station is where the bus stops, what is a workstation? Is it where the work stops? Today, nowadays, you never know, do you? I'm sure that if you work in a place where there's a number of employees, there's certain ones that you believe that they're at their workstation right now. And that ought not to be the Christian's testimony. In an article found on fortune.com entitled, Here's How You're Wasting Eight Hours Per Week, the author addresses the normal employee's abuse of on-the-clock time at work. Again, the average worker, it says, spends a full day of their work week doing things other than, well, work. That's what the, how the article begins. It goes on to tell us that a survey from staffing, uh, from staffing firm uh, office team, a staffing term office team, found the average office employee spends 56 minutes per day using their cell phone at work for non-work activity. 56 minutes a day. It, it, that works out, the article says, to just under five hours per week of goofing off on phones, personal email, and social media made up the majority of the wasted time with sports sites, mobile gaming, and shopping placing a far distant third, fourth, and fifth place. Phones weren't the only ways employees wasted time, though, the article went on. The average employee spends 42 minutes a day, 3.45 hours a week, attending to personal tasks such as errands, according to survey. Added together, it says that nearly eight hours a week of total, there's a, 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 on average, nearly eight hours a week of total lost productivity. <clears throat> now, the author continues by adding this. She said, and if the office is mostly comprised of younger workers, the amount of lost time jumps dramatically. Employees ages 18 to 34 rack up 70 minutes on mobile devices and 48 minutes on personal tasks each day, each workday. The most of all age groups is this 18 to 34. And it totals just under 10 hours a week. That'd be a quarter of a 40-hour work week. Now, I'm just going to say this, okay, because right now we're all going, what? Wow. No way, dude. Right? Most have gotten so used to receiving calls, texts, emails, and posts, even at work, you become desensitized to it all. You likely spend far more time on your phone at work than you even think. Not to mention the occasional online shopping taking place and occasional purchases as well. Now listen, I, I don't know, but it wasn't that long ago, some of us remember, you didn't have phones in the workplace. You weren't even allowed to get phone calls from family unless it was emergencies. And then all of a sudden, everybody started getting phones. 
And then the big battle was, do you let your employees have the phones at work or do you tell them that they have to put them in their locker and not have, have them on them? And then after five or six more years of that debate, they just said, you know what, we can't even, it, it's not working. They're sneaking their phones anyway. We might as well let them have them. We just got to hope, and now here's where that, we just got to hope they don't abuse too much time. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I still believe that Christians ought to work 40 hours if they're getting paid for 40 hours. See, I still don't believe that just because you're allowed to have a phone at work means that you can then do, take care of personal items, text a wife half the time, spend, hours, spend time on the phone. Every 45 minutes, the wife's calling you, asking you, hey, what's going on? No, I don't think so. The husband's calling, honey, what's going on with the kids? Or what's happening at work? Or what's taking place down? No, 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 no. Why do we have to feel connected during work? We are at work. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just saying this. We better be careful. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. I think we need to respect our company's time. We need to do eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. I just, I, I mean, just saying. And I know you say, well, my bosses don't care. You might be surprised if they were truly honest. They don't care because they know it probably won't matter. And the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to resent them and hate their guts because they won't let you do what you want to do. And then you'll cry and whine so much that they'll eventually they'll be replaced. Sadly enough, that's about where it is today. And I'm just going to tell you something. It should never be a Christian who people at work go, man, they're always on their phone. Man, they always are distracted by their, their phones. Man, they're always on their tablet. They're always on the computer looking up something on the internet that's not job related. You know why most of the usage is on the phones here? Because the companies in their IT departments have already put blocks on their computers because they don't want them doing personal things during work time. The problem is they can't control these little things called phones. So again, you do what you got to do, but I'm going to tell you something. Your coworkers and your, your bosses are much more aware of your usage than you may imagine. They may not say as much as they probably should, but the fact is, is that you are gaining a reputation as being someone that is stealing from the company if you continually stay on that phone and it's not emergency related. And then when you go talking to people about being upright and moral and having good character, about Jesus Christ and how he was sinless and perfect and how we can become that way if we'll trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and they're going to look at you and go, what? And you, you're always on that stupid phone. You're never doing what the boss says. You're always doing something for yourself. I'm just telling you, it matters. I don't know about you, but I notice these things. And I'll be honest, I don't always say things about it. But it bothers me to hear phones ring in this building sometimes during work hours. And I know it's not an emergency. And I know sometimes it's not even work-related. Even I have a problem with it. So I just want you to realize if the pastor has a problem and he's supposed to love everybody, I wonder how your bosses feel about stuff like that. Okay? Now, I'm just saying, let's, let's, you know, we can excuse it all we want, say, well, that's the day and age we live, and too bad, I'm worth it, all that good stuff. But anyway... I'm just saying, it doesn't matter. I, I, we'll get to something else here in a minute, and I'll try to put all that to rest, too. Number E, okay? You're to do your very best. You're to do the very best you can to help the company succeed and make your employer look good. Wow. Now, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, you are to do the very best you can to help the company succeed and make your 
employer look good. That's a, that, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not slothful in business. I tell you what, you get lazy in business, the, the boss ain't going to look good, you don't look good, nobody looks good. See, we're not, this is interesting, and I think this is important. I've come to the conclusion that we're not to work hard because we choose to, but because we're commanded to. Believers are commanded to work hard. This isn't something that we just say, well, you know what, you got, I choose to have good character. I choose to work hard. No, you're commanded to work hard. That's not really a choice that we have if we're going to be obedient to Christ. If we're going to be obedient, then we just need to work hard. Now, again, I choose to work hard because I want to obey the Lord, I guess, in that sense. But when it's all said and done, if I want to please God, then I don't have a choice. I have to work hard. Whether you're receiving the pay that you feel you deserve or the respect of your peers or boss that you believe you're worthy of, you need to work hard. My boss doesn't appreciate me. Too bad. Work hard. Because, see, it's not your reputation that's on the line. It's Christ. You've got to remember there's such a bigger picture here. We're talking about our attitude in the workplace. We're talking about how we ought to function and deal as believers in the workplace. I'm not talking about lost people in the workplace. Let them do whatever they want to do. They're, they're, they're carnal. They're natural. They're, they're, they're not going to respond the way a believer does. But we're Christians, and we, we serve a higher God of higher power. We're citizens of heaven. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to do our best to help the company succeed and make our employer look good. See, in our obedience as well, God always blesses. So let me give you a couple verses. Here they are, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Well, that sounds pretty good. That, that kind of supports this idea that we ought to do our very best to help the company succeed and make your employer look good. He becometh poor, it says in Proverbs 10, 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 18, 9. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the slothful killeth him. For his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. I recently read an article that offered some simple suggestions as to how to help your company succeed and make your employer look good. Now, this is an article. This is a secular article. This is not written by Christianity Today. This isn't written by Pastor O'Donnell's Healthy, wealthy, wise, employer, employee, relationship book. Now this is simply the world trying to help employees accomplish something, ultimately end up in the place they want to end up. And it's interesting, they said, you wanna, if you truly want to, to help your company succeed and make your employer look good, and they're truly doing this just because eventually they want to be the boss. But here's what they said to do. Here's the five suggestions that were given. Go beyond your job description. Go beyond your job description. See, most companies expect employees to do the job 
of more than one person today anyway. You know, we're downsizing constantly. So you get to not only do your job, you get to do the guy that used to stand beside you or the gal that was over there before. It would just combine them and you get to do both now. However, still be prepared to show you're up for the challenge by volunteering to take on more than you're expected to do. That's what they said. Huh. So be willing to not only take on that challenge, but volunteer to take on more than you're expected to do. Go beyond your job description is the suggestion. How do we do this? How do we make our employer and our company look good? Well, pay attention to detail. Pay attention to detail, she says. We live in a world of fast-moving communications where everyone's used to emailing and texting quickly, often without thinking. While speed's good, quality is just as important, especially when you're working on a project written report, proposal, or presentation for your boss. Sometimes, in an effort to work fast, mistakes happen. She's saying, be careful to pay attention to detail because those details ultimately make the difference. You want to make your boss look good? You want to help your company to, to, to succeed in a sense? Let your boss know about your mistakes before the boss finds out. Now, that's a novel idea taking responsibility. If your supervisor gets called out on something that he or she didn't know about ahead of time, it makes them seem like they're not mindful of what's going on. And when your boss looks bad, trust me, you do too. So the next time you mess up, fess up fast and offer to fix it. Don't just say, well, I messed up. Just say, listen, I really messed up and here's what I want to do to fix it. Come up with a solution now that you've taken this thing and created a, a debacle. Now have a solution, how to get it back, how to repair it and fix it. So she says, go beyond your job description. Pay attention to detail. Let your boss know about your mistakes before, their boss, before your boss finds out, or their boss finds out, excuse me. And then number four, stay up on the latest trends. Now, we're talking about jobs here, and this is, of course, is a secular job. But listen, if you're in the secular world, you better be staying up on trends that affect and deal with your work and your job. For instance, there are new technologies, marketing techniques, or real-time data that your boss might not be aware of and would help your department to be cutting edge or ahead of the curve. Is there anything like that you can think of? Well, if you can, think about those things and maybe send your boss a link to a great article or an interview or even offer to train them. It'll make the boss look like they're on top of their game and they'll likely recognize you as the reason for that. This is a secular... I mean, these are people that are lost. Saying, listen, let's, how are we going to be a good employee? How are we going to make the boss look good and the company succeed? Here's how you do it. We've got Christians that right now are probably going, I'd never do that stuff. That's too much work. And who cares? They don't pay me enough anyway. They're lucky I work there at all. We wonder why we have no influence with the lost. We wonder why our life, it's not what we, see, what did we say? We should be known for what we do, not what we don't do. Number five, she says, provide solutions instead of problems. Provide solutions instead of problems. Let's be honest, she goes on to say, most employees come to their managers with a problem and look to them to present a way to fix it, not unlike parents and children. 
Save your boss time, she says, and energy by coming up with potential solutions to whatever challenge you're facing. Next time a problem pops up, try to avoid marching into the office and saying, I have a problem, what should I do? Instead say, I have a problem, here's how I propose handling it, what do you think? Again, this isn't a Christian publication. And the truth is, is as a believer, we ought to be the first ones to say, I'm going to make my boss look good. I'm going to, I'm going to help the company succeed. I'm going to be a difference maker in the office. I'm going to be someone that they can look up to and respect. And I know there's always somebody, if you're in a large enough office setting, when you succeed and when you take the steps that I just talked about, let me tell you something, there's always somebody there going, hey, why don't you just rein it in, Buster? Why don't you just hold back a little bit? How's going to be trying to make the rest of us look bad? I have nothing, it's not about me can you look bad. It's about me looking like the Christian I am. And I'm going to do the very best I can to be a blessing to my boss and to the company I work for because I'm grateful for what I have. It may not be everything you're wanting yet, but you ought to be grateful for what God's given you. And it's a mission field, remember? And the goal is to be able to reach your office, to reach your, your place of employment, to reach those employees with the gospel. That means if you're going to do that, you have to set a precedence and you have to set an example of what a Christian ought to be and is. I think if the world would go to such measures to procure the boss's favor and to increase the likelihood of a promotion? I think to myself, how much more should a believer pursue such measures in order to find the favor of God, wherein all blessings flow? How much more should we want to please Him? Man, I, I don't know. And remember, by the way, according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, you and I reap what we sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's funny, you know, we'll go to the office place and we'll treat people without respect or we'll not give them the time of day or, or we'll, we'll do things that don't, don't reflect positively on our Christianity and our testimony. And then we go home and, and we act as though that we separate the workplace from the home place. And, and then we start to wonder why our children don't show us and our wives the respect we deserve or, or, or us and our husband the, the, the respect we deserve and they don't listen to us like they ought to and they seem to have an attitude when we ask them to do things and we wonder why and we say to ourselves, we don't get it. We take them to church and we put them in Sunday school and we give them the best youth program and we do all of these things. What's wrong with my kid? I'll tell you what's wrong with your kid. They're acting like you act at work and they're just, you're just reaping what you sow. Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing. This is really practical and helpful for me. Well, good. I'm glad it is. I'm glad you told me that. That's, it's encouraging to me. You are to do that. <laughs> That's because he's retired now. But anyway, <laughs> I couldn't resist, brother. <laughs> it's, this one's a lot easier if you're retired, isn't it? But anyway. You're to do the very best you can to help the company succeed and make your employer look good. Um, let, let me try to just nail this real fast. Number, the last one in this section, okay? If, if we're going to make our, our, our boss look good and, and we're going to help the company succeed, then I believe this. I believe you need to mind your own business and don't let someone else's laziness affect you. You say, wow, that's kind of a weird way to put it. I know, it is. But, but 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Turn there, would you? Look how 1 Thessalonians 4.11 puts it. I'm not too far off on how I express this. Notice what it says. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And that's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, once... I. I I read about a guy. Once he was walking down the road adjacent to a mental hospital. And the hospital's compound had a tall fence separating it from the road. He says, I could hear shouting coming from the other side. The patients were shouting, 13, 13, 13, 13, 13, on and on and on. I was intrigued though. Then I saw a tiny hole in the fence. Even though it felt kind of stupid, I decided to put my eye there and look inside. And as, I soon, and, and as soon as I did, some idiot poked me in the eye with a stick. And the patient started, started shouting, 14, 14, 14, 14. And he says, and that's how I learned to mind my own business. Have you ever said to yourself or to someone else, Wouldn't it be great if everybody would mind their own business? You ever found yourself saying that or asking yourself that? Or you said something like this. Wouldn't it be great if everybody did what he or she was supposed to do? I mean, or or maybe, wouldn't it be great if there weren't so many busy bodies? You know, people who were more concerned about your affairs than their own. I mean, you may have found yourself saying that at some point. Well, let me ask. How much more could be accomplished And more would get done if people would simply learn to mind their own business. How much more would really get done? Not just in the church, not just at the workplace, but even in the home sometimes. I mean, if people would just mind their own business, do what they're supposed to do and not worry about what the other guy is or isn't doing or what the other gal is or isn't doing. One writer stated, isn't it amazing how much wisdom people have about other people's affairs and so little interest in their own? That's something. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. This is no new phenomena. There have been people throughout history who have been more concerned about the business of others than their own business. In 1 Timothy 5, 13, the Bible says, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering aloud from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busy bodies, speaking things which they ought not. So I, I, I think that we could say then that most often busybodies are critical by nature too. They're very critical people. They have criticized and talked about others so much that to meddle in other people's business... It's just a way of life for them. They get to the point where it's just normal. Busybodies are always looking for the splinters or faults in the lives of others when there's a, basically a beam in their own life. And you know, what we need to really do is just mind our own business, whether it's at work or wherever it might be. Even in church sometimes, it'd be best for us just to do our job and let other people worry about other people. Well, you know, that person over there ain't pulling their weight. And that person over there is not doing... Well, what about you? Why don't you just do what you're supposed to do? 
and let the boss or the leaders of that group take care of that stuff in their time. Maybe they don't feel it's necessary yet. Maybe there's something that person's working through. Maybe there's a tragedy in their life. Maybe there's an emotional trauma that they've just endured or taken care of. And maybe they're going through a rough time and you're not aware of it, but yet you're so quick to cast stones. Let's let God take care of some things sometimes. Let's just trust God with our work, our life, our ministry, and let God take care of other people that busy bodies. Hey, at the workplace, how easy is it at the workplace? And you look at that guy over there and you're thinking, I remember when I worked at McDonald's years and years and years ago. I hated working there sometimes because I'm busting my tail. I'm doing 12 six turns left and right. I'm emptying the trash. I'm getting stock out of the freezer. I'm over here dropping chicken, or not chicken at the time, but, but those, uh, um, those little, I still don't eat them to this day, those fish sandwiches, but dropping those fish sandwiches in. And then we did get the McChickens, and so we started dropping McChickens in. And then I'm having to sear quarter pounders, and then I have to flip those, and the buzzer's going off back here to lift up fries. And... And I'm looking around, and I'm going, where are all these stinking lazy people? I'm doing everything. And then I get my review. We really like your work. You get a 10-cent raise. <laughs> 10 cents a minute? <laughs> An hour. Are you kidding me? And just like you, it's, it's, it's easy to look around me and start thinking, well, they got a 10-cent raise too, and they don't do nothing around here. As a believer, I'll be honest with you, that don't go too far in bolstering up your testimony. People aren't real impressed with a complaining employee, even if they're telling the truth. I'm just telling you, we need to be very careful how it looks to the world because whether we're being taken advantage of or not at work to some degree, we still were told how much we were going to get paid and that this was the job. And we ought to be willing to do the job that we're, get, that we're told we're getting paid for. And then we ought to do it with a smile on our face. And we ought to do it the right way and work the hard, as hard as we possibly can. Because we're not serving the boss in, a, in and of itself. We're not just serving the business. We're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's his testimony that's on the line. So you need to stay focused on business, on the work at hand. I think of Jesus Christ, and we talked about him already today, but in Luke chapter 2 again, he's at the age of 12. What's he declare? He says, I must be about my father's business. And you know what? For you and I as believers in the workplace, we're to be doing our father's business. Because that's really what we're doing, his business. And that business is being focused, being faithful, and being a fruitful employee. I close with this passage, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13. For even when we were with you, the apostle said, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but our busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Boy, I tell you, isn't it tempting to be more concerned about everybody else than even ourselves? Especially in the workplace. 
But God's telling us, you just focus on your work. You be the best employee you can be. You try to make your boss and your, your look good and you try to make your company successful. You do your very best to represent me in the workplace in a way that when you talk about me, people will listen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had, Lord, just to consider your word, the very fundamental, simple, simple, basic truth.